today on Owl Have You Know. We tend to see the world very binary, you know, zeros and ones, right or wrong. And I think that that's a fallacy. I think everybody has a lot of different talents. And I also think that there are a lot of different perspectives in the world. People need to really use the skills that we learn in MBA school, the critical thinking skills, and put it to good use in society. Welcome back to another episode of I Will Have You Know. This is your co-host, David Drewgleaver. And on the line today, I have Aruna Viswanathan. She is a Rice Business class of 2001, a co-founder and chief operating officer at Alpha X Decision Sciences. Does many other things, is very involved in the community, is an investor in venture capital, and a number of other things we'll go into. But first and foremost, Saruna, thank you for coming to the show. Thanks for having me, David. All right. Well, we have a lot to cover here. You seem to be a very multifaceted person and executive and have done a lot of things since graduation. So perhaps we can start so we can get a better understanding of who you are and what you're passionate about. Can you give us the highlight reel bits that led up to your decision to join and go through the Rice Business program? And what are some of those highlight moments that have brought you to this point here? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to talk about that. So I am an engineer by training. A lot of MBAs are. I actually have a master's in electrical engineering, which I got from UT. And I was one of those people that uh, pretty quickly realized that I was not going to survive uh, that sort of hierarchical organizational work in an engineering firm. I was working for Motorola. I had worked for advanced micro devices before that. And it was pretty clear to me that this was not going to be the career path that I wanted to do. So I started to look at the MBA programs as a way to kind of diversify and go into other areas that might be better suited to my skills. That makes two of us. I, when I was going through computer engineering at Georgia Tech, I said, yeah, I'll finish this, but these other people seem to be way more excited about this than me. So similarly, the MBA allowed me also to diversify after engineering and military career, and it's, it's all been gravy after that. So since getting your MBA, how has that altered your trajectory and how did that affect where you wanted to focus, what kind of businesses you wanted to work with, how did your overall life trajectory went? How did Rice Business influence that direction? Well, the reason I chose to go to Rice was actually because I was pivoting to move to Houston. And when I started to look into that, I said that I needed to pick a school that would probably have the best network for being in Houston. And I absolutely believe that it was the right choice. And in fact, uh, I would say that the Rice degree, since when I got my degree, has kind of been like a fine wine. It has aged very well over time. And that's really to the credit of the administration, the school, and the students that came after me. Uh, we kind of joined in a strange time when the program was uh, trying to pivot its uh, programming from, I think, one type of system to another. So we were kind of a guinea pig class where we ended up taking classes that they had quarter system or something like that. And so it was a really interesting period in the school's history. It was also the year that they started um, a course around 
the technology entrepreneurship environment in Houston, which evolved into the Rice Alliance. And so when I was there, I actually did the this uh, strategy course on the technical workforce in Houston, got to learn really about the community of uh, science and innovation in Houston, and ended up parlaying that into an internship, which at the time uh, I got connected through some Rice students, which was at the Houston Technology Center, which was then a just starting incubator in the city. And so it really was a pivotal moment in time with respect to the city and with respect to the school, because as you can see, uh, starting from that class, which I participated in the first, what was then called Southwestern Business Plan Competition to what is now 20 years plus into the Rice Business Plan Competition, it's been quite, quite a big shift in the school's focus from just being mostly a finance school to also being an entrepreneurship school. And I had the fortune to meet a lot of the people who were early on the ground in that transition and be a part of that. So I've really been very grateful to the experience at Rice. Wow, that's a lot. I've had some touch points with either the Rice Alliance or Houston Angel Network, which you didn't mention, but that's in the vicinity as well, and the Houston Tech Center. In fact, I haven't mentioned this on the show before, but my last semester in school, I did one class with the Houston Angel Network. So that was one of my classes that I would actually go to the place where that was at, Han or Houston Angel Network. So that was, to me, one of the most rewarding things because I was working and rubbing elbows with investors in the community, seeing pitches and pitch decks. That was really rewarding. The Han organization was actually spun out of the Houston Technology Center. Uh, and right around the time I was there. So, and I was on the board of Han for a couple of years. That's fascinating. I wonder if we <laughs> walked by each other at some point, but that's really interesting, the history there. So I, I learned something about that, that history there. So, you know, going back, I mean, the two decades, are there f folks that are, you're still connected to that you went to Rice Business with by chance? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we make friends for all kinds of different reasons, right? And uh, I, the people who I've kept in touch with over the years have really become very close friends of mine. So I've kept in touch with some professors. Uh, one name professor who was adjunct at the time is uh, Scott Christ, who I don't know if he teaches there anymore, but uh, I ended up working with him in one of his venture funds and work with him today. Um, I also keep in touch with several of my classmates from Rice, and uh, they've gone on to do amazing things uh, internationally and, and all around the United States. Excellent. That's, that's a common theme that keeps coming up over and over, just the, the power of the network. So, well, so the next chunky topic I'd like to, to ask you is when more on the investing side of things and just looking through your profile, you've done a lot of investments in various companies. How do you go about thinking in terms of building out or optimizing a portfolio? What are the, some of the components that you think of when it comes to selecting where you're going to invest or which companies you're going to put your time, energy, and focus in and to what level? Do you have a higher level guiding either Lighthouse or North Star when it comes to making those highly complex decisions? Yeah, because I'd probably start by saying that you learn a lot about yourself as you do different kinds of investing. So I have people I know who are most most happy working in, 
very liquid markets like the stock market. I have other people I know who are much happier in real estate uh, where they can manage somewhat more predictable returns and risk. There are other people that even look at debt, prefer debt versus equity. And then there is that strange and mysterious place which people call venture capital and angel investing, uh, which is really the hardest and most difficult part of it. Uh, so my my first recommendation to anybody who's really looking to do that work is for them to understand that the money that they're earmarking for this, they should assume that they will never see it again uh, because that is the best way to go about doing it. The second is to not put all your bets in one place, that you should definitely diversify it. And the third is maybe that they should consider early stage um, investment vehicles or early stage venture funds and put money into different of those, which then further diversify into their, you know, investments as well. Because it's very, very hard to diligence a deal. Uh, every one of them is different. Every venture capital investment, maybe angel investment is like, it's it requires a massive amount of complexity for these businesses to succeed. And you can't watch and help them all day. So you really need to be able to uh, step away from it and uh, diversify your risk across if you're going to do this kind of work. But as far as what I look for, you know, everybody's going to be different. You're going to be looking for characteristics of deals that you can understand. And that is probably the most important thing is pick the area that you feel most comfortable with and stick to that because that way you'll have a better confidence in, in what you're doing and, and you'll also... Um, get better returns potentially. People get very excited about things that they don't understand, but that's not a good idea. And now you're mostly focused on, is it Alpha X Decision Sciences that's taking up most of your, your time and focus? What is it today that um, is getting most of your energy? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Alpha X uh, Decision Sciences is a company that we uh, incubated and then launched in 2016. And it has been, you know, probably one of the greatest joys of my life has been to be working on this side. Um, as you stated, you know, right out of um, MBA school, I worked with the Houston Technology Center for a number of years and ran their operations. And uh, so I got to work with helping lots of companies, helping them with their business plans, helping with their presentations, and really, you know, growing the community. Uh, from there, I transitioned into an early stage venture capital and MESDET fund which invested in companies. And uh, and then I worked with uh, the Emerging Technology Fund and a number of other investment groups investing in businesses. But I've always wanted to circle back to not just consulting and helping or investing, but doing the operations. Because in all the capacities I was in before, I was already doing operations or jumping in and doing things anyway. And so this was the first time to really come in at ground zero and do something um, that would be challenging and, and really in a way, David, returning back to some of the engineering routes, right? Because uh, while I've worked in all kinds of ranges of different businesses, Alpha X is in fact a pure play AI data-driven company. And so we are focused on the upstream oil and gas sector. And uh, we play at this intersection of some very highly complex technical skills, which are uh, AI, of course, artificial intelligence, software development, uh, cloud, 
infrastructure, and subject matter expertise in, in energy. And so putting these four inter these four disciplines together to build is a really very interesting task, especially when it's done in a virtualized environment through COVID and an energy price crash. And now, as you can see, a massive, you know, difference from two years ago with respect to where the energy uh, trends are today. And uh, and it'll continue to change because we're going to go through a transition and uh, more and more solutions like what we provide that provide operational efficiency and help, I guess, facilitate the transition from the boomer generation to the millennial and Gen Z generation to drive, you know, the future of energy. So it's been great. Interesting. There's, I have so many questions about AlphaX. <laughs> this is really neat stuff. And so staying zoomed out in terms of the, just the fundamental value proposition or what, what challenges are being solved for by AlphaX, how would you sort of package that up cogently in terms of the challenges being solved for? At the highest level, I think what you have to look at is that the marketplace needs to be able to drive more efficiency because we are in this situation where supply and demand for oil and gas, it's it's very volatile. It was volatile before, but it continues to become volatile because we have increasing populations, we have energy transition, we have geopolitical risk, and all of these things occurring. And as a result, and the fact that more generations of people are moving into sustainability or other types of careers, you have the same people who were managing one set of assets are now managing potentially five to 10 times more assets, whether that's a well or systems or equipment, they're, they have to do more with less. And that is, that is the dynamic which then brings data-driven and AI solutions to the forefront for the energy sector, which has not been a fast adopter of AI. It's, uh, it's, in fact, a lagging uh, industry adopter, largely because, unlike most other industries, the data has just never been as organized as it was in other places. So, so that is, uh, that's the, the nature of it. Now, we, we produce several different solutions for subsurface. Uh, some of them are in, in drilling and uh, equipment, and, uh, and those are on our website. Uh, but we also produce a platform and a SaaS software that forecasts the production and provides competitive analysis in near real time for unconventional oil and gas wells. And so the power of this is that it's a game changer in being able to use AI to leverage public and private data and uh, look at, well, what do I expect to be able to get from my resources in the future? And how do wow. I then best tailor and adjust from there? So when you interact with your customers and have these conversations, I, I would imagine high level, it's like, okay, who doesn't want to make more, drive more efficiencies using data more skillfully? And the first thing that came up as I heard you provide that description is these huge companies have data just everywhere. And a lot of times the data just falls on the floor. You have different teams that keep the data close to the chest, don't want to share and put it all together. They operate in stovepipes, essentially data stovepipes. Is that 
a challenge. I'm trying to think of like what are specific challenges, you know, to essentially operationalize and action out the value proposition. Is that one of the things that comes up? Because I, in my space, I see this everywhere. Like the data is there. It's just assimilating it and putting it together to make it actionable is a core problem. But I don't want to make too many assumptions here. Does that come up in conversation with your prospects and customers? It comes down to company culture, right? So there are some companies where that is more of a problem and some companies where that's less of a problem. And I think it's our job, you know, to be looking for those companies that are the adopters, the fast movers, right? And then as more of these things get into the market, then we can kind of pull on that success to bring in others. Uh, so it is very much, I think, that we see that folks who are a little bit younger, a little bit more technology and data friendly, who are used to using things in their daily lives, uh, do understand it more and can adopt faster. But I think that the dynamics of COVID has changed a lot of this, where people are now starting to say that, you know, we do need to be able to pivot very fast. And so that that has changed, I think, the dynamics of even people who may have been more recalcitrant in the past to look at and try to understand where they should be going. And how do you identify the folks? Is there a way to do an assessment of the lay of the land for companies that can use the Alpha X solution? Is it come up in conversation? Is it how do you identify those folks that are that are change ready or to your point have that culture that are more fast moving, much more data friendly? Every company is going to be so very different, right? I mean, I what I would have to say to folks is that you know this business of understanding what is the market, what how you segment the market, and actually what is the difference between marketing and sales, and what works best in your industry, is is an experience uh, to have to go through. And I'm sure, David, you've definitely gone through it. I'm going through it. And uh, every entrepreneur who has tried to ever build a business and get out to the market has to go through it. And it is very hard. It is the hardest. It may even be harder in some cases than building the product itself because you it, there's such an interplay. If you don't understand these things, then you can have a great solution, but you can't get it out there. So I think that... Um, the way you have to do this, and I think that you've probably seen this before, is you have to do a lot of customer focus groups. You have to get in front of the people who you think are buying your product, and you have to you have to have lots of deep conversations with them to try to understand their personas. Excellent, I love that. <laughs> I know that was loaded too, and and this is all, of course, you know, this ongoing figuring it out as you're flying the plane, you're putting it together. So I promise I'm not trying to show you, throw you any <laughs> curveballs. No, that's okay. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's all good. You know, I, uh, I have worked uh, in operations across a lot of different businesses. I mean, I think that this is sort of, you kind of alluded to this, but, you know, I've worked in operations, but I also have worked on the investing side. So I have experience in entrepreneurship in investing in board and also on boards. And so, it's it's been very interesting to me to see that you can take things and experiences from you know really old sectors like real estate which i'm in, involved with and as well uh localized real estate and look at how those models and contracts and things work and then you can look at virtualized global business like alpha x and which is a wholly new business right 
But uh, that's what I really enjoy is is looking at these business models, looking at how they work and evolve, and uh, having crossed enough of them over a period of time, both myself and my own work, as well as uh, investing in companies and learning what they do. Uh, that is, I think, been the most rewarding and interesting part of the last 20 years. That's a great segue. And I wanted to, to ask sort of how you take all the things you've learned and then divest that out. But I had one more question on Alpha X. Going back to what still fascinates me is that intersection of AI, software development, cloud, and then also, as you're saying, SME and the energy sector. Of course, you're learning as you're going, but then are there other folks or peers, say, that may have done something similar or otherwise that you can go to to glean knowledge from in, in order to, to you know, figure out that Rubik's Cube a little bit more skillfully? Or do you feel like you're unique in this space? I ask this because, you know, in Houston, <laughs> when it comes to, you know, Houston's well known for energy, but when it's software development, AI, I mean, that's something you think of maybe in Silicon Valley, for example. So I'm curious, who do you who go to for either help or for knowledge or for domain expertise as you're figuring out that that intersection? Yeah, that's a really good question. So actually, our, our CEO is... Um, out of Silicon Valley, uh, and he, uh, Sammy, he used to work for Baker Hughes and ran their uh, Palo Alto Innovation Center. He's, his background is deep in the AI area uh, over his career, having worked at several different companies um, putting together solutions. Uh, we have a data science team that's, uh, that's also remote. They're, they are a team of mathematicians. We have uh, degrees in electrical engineering and math. And so they are, I think there's another interesting aspect of this, which is that math, the kind of math required to do artificial intelligence, machine learning for like retail or banking or other types of sectors is very different than energy. Uh, the energy sector has got such high level mathematics if you think of what reservoir simulators or just subsurface, you have multiple dimensions. You know, you're not just talking about characteristics of demographics or time or distance or time series. It's it's very different type of work. Uh, so we have experts who are like the best of the best in the different areas and just work very closely together. And I think that one of the biggest differentiators about our approach has been that we don't let the subject matter expert who's been doing this workflow for 30 to 50 years of their life tell the product how the product should be designed. So there's a philosophy of keeping the customer away from the designer, which allows the designer to come up with solutions that a customer or a user can never think of. And that's how we that's how we think about building solutions. And we also philosophically think about this as future-proof, meaning build it on open source. You know, build it in a way that you can extend it and scale it, uh, maintain it and grow it, not just lock people into platforms, lock people into templates, gamify the interface, make it exciting. So that's, that's how we look at doing things differently. Uh, and then we just look for best in class 
uh, wherever they are, as opposed to trying to find them all here or expect that they all know each other's discipline. I love the thought of making something, and you said philosophically, and <laughs> sometimes I uh, might, I see philosophy and strategy and kind of this one big glob that, that it's almost like just thinking more expansively. And, and when you start talking about open source and extensibility, that's where I, I start thinking about ecosystem. So is there like a ecosystem play where third parties are able to, like you said, make things accessible, extensible, or even, Hey, you know, come to the alpha X conference, <laughs> you know, where you can see what other people are doing and what other sort of widgets people are building on, on top of the platform is that somewhere in the future, if not now already? I can't say that at this point in time. But uh, but I definitely feel like, you know, we have the ability to, because we have already built multiple areas, to think about things like that down the road. I, I did want to stay zoomed out. And you've talked a lot about getting a lot of gratification of helping business leaders, helping optimize and streamline companies. And as you look at the lay of the land of all the folks that you've helped, are there, are there certain threads or motifs or themes that, that come up that help you to identify what are the drivers of success that differentiate poor performing companies versus really, really great ones that you with regularity bring to the conversation as you're advising and consulting companies? I mean, you know, I think probably the most important characteristic of any entrepreneur is that they have to have a, a vision that they that they believe in and are passionate about, but have just enough. That's have it's a very interesting skill of having enough of an ego to to be able to survive the long haul and go down a route that you believe in, but not enough of such an ego that you can't learn along the way. Because if you, it's a very fine balance, you know, because if you're not willing to accept information or at least try to get to the truth of it, then you can fall down a lot of rabbit holes. Uh, but at the same time, oh, people will give you all kinds of advice. And a lot of it makes no sense because they have no idea what you're doing, right? So you have to be able to filter that. And that that is probably a characteristic that's, um, it's interesting because if you're on, I've seen many people who try to give advice to people feel offended when they don't take the advice. But in fact, you have to be able to filter what advice makes sense if you're on that side of it and, and have a belief in what you do. So, but other than that, I'd say teams. To be honest with Dave, David, I mean, mm -hmm. teams are, are probably the best. Like if you can find teams that work together or have worked together, but just get along well. I mean, they have so much a greater chance of success because they can support each other. One person doing it alone is often a red flag because it creates so many different issues eventually if they're not able to build a team. But a high-performing team, I mean... They, they can support each other, they can develop more, and they have a different sense about how they can grow the organization. I think that it also means that the company culture becomes a little bit more diffuse across things as opposed to maybe just one person's view of everything. Because ultimately, companies are the culture of the people who, find, who founded them. 
Excellent. And last one, we talked offline about your involvement with community and giving back. And how does that play out in your life? You've had a lot of success and seems like it's important for you to give back or pay it forward or whatever lexicon you want to use there. So what are some of the things that you're really proud of in terms of being able to plug back or um, give of yourself to the community? You know, when I was growing up in Houston, I didn't think I'd ever come back here. I think a, a lot of kids <laughs> like who <two> of us. <laughs> start in this city are like, no, we're never going to come back here. But uh, I really love this. Uh, I really love this city and I love the people that I've met along the way. Uh, I think that when you go out to folks to help them, the first thing you should know is what is it about yourself or what is it that you're truly good at that you can provide guidance and advice to because that that makes a lot of sense right like if you know that this is the right place in the right type of situation that you can help somebody then people will know to come to you when those sorts of things are coming up and and to the extent so i think these days i i've worked a lot more on the ground for many years and i also ran a, a nonprofit here which is at tie houston for a little while and uh, so I've gotten to know a lot of folks. I think that the way that you give back is you find the best ways that you are uniquely capable of doing so. And then you try to just, for me, it's like laser point in to those areas and, and where you can have the highest impact. And I think that's, that makes me feel the most rewarded and provides the best benefit to whoever I'm trying to help. Hmm. <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm giving back in the best way I know how by helping to host this podcast, but I guess Tom will tell. <laughs> so. I think everyone has a lot of gifts and they have to think about what they are and how they, how they can provide help. Mm. And I know you are. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I think one thing that always surprises me or as I, you know, with the folks I've either gone to school with or otherwise, you know, business leaders I engage with, it's, I think people are generally slow to to recognize what they're really good at, and I think quite often times it takes someone to say, "Hey, like this this is your skill, this is your superpower," and then yep. you have them say, "Hmm, never thought of it that way." So uh, I love having those conversations. So well, it does we require wrap, uh -huh. it does require some introspection to know what it is what your superpower is and, and also to be able to ask of feedback. That's true. Mm, yeah. It takes a lot of courage too, because you have to also be ready to hear things that may not be exactly what you want to hear. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that's true. Well, Aruna, it's been a pleasure um, talking with you and I know we could, we could probably have part eight, nine, 10, 11 plus. So I'll give the mic to you for final words and, and parting wisdom perhaps. Any other call to action that you'd like to give folks that were tuning in in the Rice Business community, prospective students and business leaders and beyond? Any call to action or any recommendations for folks that either want to reach out to you, otherwise learn more about whatever we've discussed today? Well, I absolutely welcome anybody who wants to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm sure that you'll post my name, so it won't be mm -hmm. too hard to find. Uh, you know, I can certainly share my perspective with regards to 
any of the topics that we've discussed here today. I, I think that as far as a, a call to action, we didn't talk about this too much, uh, but I think that one of the things that I would like to kind of state is that we we tend to see the world very binary, you know, zeros and ones, right or wrong, um, you know, leader or follower, that kind of thing, or an entrepreneur or investor or something, you know. And I think that that's a fallacy. I think everybody has a lot of different talents. And I also think that there are a lot of different perspectives in the world. And so especially right now, you know, I think that people need to really use use the skills that we learn in MBA school, the critical thinking skills, and put it to good use in society to help try to bridge these gaps and try to keep people from being so much in this view that, you know, something is right or wrong or there's only one way to solve the problem because that's absolutely not true. There's hundreds of ways to do different things if we think about it enough and are creative. Oh, if you didn't say creative, I was going to say it. <laughs> Creativity solves everything. Absolutely. <laughs> and, the, and there's no limit to the amount of creativity you can apply to any problem. <laughs> so I love that you called that out. Aruna, thank you so much for joining on today. And I'm looking forward to, to sharing this with the community. Thank you, David. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it. Let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Christine Dobbin, and David Drew Gleaver. 